The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with Kat Webb. Kat is a psychopomp. Do you know what a psychopomp is? It's kind of like a cross between a death doula and a shaman. Kat describes the psychopomp work as an energetic soul midwife to the dead or dying. So classically speaking, psychopomps were deities who could cross freely between the lands of the living and the dead. So the big guns you might have heard of in this line of work would be, um, you know, gods and goddesses like Hermes and Anubis, Persephone, Freya, Archangel Michael, and of course the Valkyries. There's lots more, but those are kind of like the big names in the business. So get ready for what is clearly going to be a super cool conversation. This was actually one of my favorites. Um, I connected with Kat online. She was at home in Vancouver, BC. So Kat, what identities do you lead with? Uh, mama and psychopont priestess and non-binary queer goddess. Oh, awesome. Okay, I would like to, um, I will take psychopomp priestess <laughs> for the win here. <laughs> I really have wanted to ask you about that for a while. I've been observing you, watching your feed on Facebook, which I highly recommend people do follow. Um, and I hope you can help the listeners by just telling us what exactly is a psychopomp and how does the current modern definition differ from what we might be thinking of classically? Like I have an idea in my head of what a psychopomp is. And so I, I can you just clarify for me, what are we talking about here? In classical terms, we just, we describe psychopomp um, as a job of somebody who is a conductor of souls from the land of the living to the land of the dead. So they're people who are energetically aware of souls that are stuck in the plant in the land between um, realms, and so uh, they facilitate that through prayers and through offerings and through sacrifice and through chanting, you know, um, and they they provide that like um, buffer of space for that soul to kind of get their stuff together, realize that they're not in a body any longer, and then it's time for them to journey on to the next sort of place. So that could look like anything from counseling to just um going forward um with the prayers you know for the dead but sometimes they do come to us and ask for counseling and witnessing and they sort of like energetically will imprint a story so that's the dead will the dead will come and say please help me yes the dead will come and say please help me please um please help me uh um, please help me journey. Please help me um, become aware of this reason why I'm stuck here. It feels like I am here in a body, but I'm not. I can't touch things. I can't interact with things. And so they're coming from a place of being confused. Um, so classically, we talk about these things in terms of deities, of gods, of guides, of ascended masters. But the reality is, is that here and now, in this realm, in this living space, there are individuals like me 
who have been tapped to do this work as we are in human form. Mm. So it's a little bit different because those of us who are called to do this work are people who are walking in both worlds. So often we end up choosing careers for ourselves without really understanding what that drive is behind it, but it's that sort of like inner passion. So a lot of people who are finding themselves drawn to being um, like EMTs or uh, nurses, palliative care, hospice care, funeral directors, all of these different people who are deciding to walk very closely with the dead to work with them on both sides of like this side of the like being alive, this side of being dead, and the veil. So stepping into that work requires like a certain amount of awareness and training. But people get called into this work because of passion, but then they don't always have the skills that they need to to work in that way safely. So that's a big part of the work that I actually bring to the table as a psychopomp is I'm really good at identifying other psychopomps. I have 22 mm -hmm. years of research into this phenomenon based on my own experience and research with others and just looking in the classical records of like how often this has happened throughout time. Mm. Like this is a legitimate phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And a legitimate career path, I would guess. Would you say that many of the people who might not realize that they are psychopomps or realize they are being called to the work of the psychopomp are currently working with the sick and dying, unaware that actually they are or could also be working with the dead? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is very true. Mm -hmm. This is very true. And the thing is, is that... Um, because of our disenfranchisement with death and dying and like we've locked it behind doors, we have put in the DSM that, it, that grief is a diagnosable you know, illness. Grief is not an illness. Grief is the response of love. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that love doesn't have a place to go that's in a tangible form that we can interact with, with hugs and love and conversations. So that's what grief is. Grief is the end of that piece of like what we held on to, what our projections were for that person's presence in our, in our sphere. And that's what grief is. That mm -hmm. isn't something that's wrong with you. That's the side effect of loving. And mm -hmm. that, you know, so we live in this society that like locks death behind closed doors that we don't want to talk about it. And so now we're kind of in this weird space where we're having these death cafes and we're having these like openings and conversations to have these, you know, bigger events come together where like death midwifery is being embraced and, um, you know, all of these different pieces are being embraced. But I still find that in that room, psychopomp is a taboo topic. Hmm. In the room, even in the, even in a space that's been convened specifically to talk about death. Why do you think this is? Because right now we've got all these shows on TV like Paranormal Hunters and, you know, <laughs> and this is, this is how my work has become viewed. Mm. Like I'm going around chasing ghosts. I'm not. These ghosts come to me. They say, hey, I'm here. And you know what? I've been walking around for a while and nobody's seen me. Mm -hmm. Nobody can see me, but you can see me. Mm -hmm. You can help me. Yes, I can help you. You know, and it's not like this ghost hunting, you know, weirdness. It's just this is part of my path and it's part of my existence. And, you know, um, in 2010, I started a, a Facebook group for people who have these experiences. And, you know, we have members from all over the world now. So is it an open public group? 
No, it's a, it's a private group, but people I can see. look it up and they can answer the questions and they can gain admittance. But there is a public group which is available for just people who are interested in um, learning about psychopomp work, and that's called Psychopomp Life Chat on Facebook. Awesome, Psychopomp Life Chat. Can we talk a bit about uh, what is often becomes or is framed as sort of the traumatic or difficult death? the difficult dying. And I'm not talking about um, traumatic incident, like car accidents. I'm talking about that institutionalized, hospitalized um, kind of death. And let's say you have family members who are, you know, um, pro-intervention and are like really not wanting the dying person to feel pain. (laughs) You know, they're really not wanting to talk about death. And that person you know, is, is going to die or, or does die. Um, if you are then a person who's been walking a spiritual path or been walking a path of grief work, who finds themselves like in that bizarre context where you're like, does nobody else see that our loved one is dying? Um, what, what, what would you say? Like, how can you care for your dying or your dead when the family does not want to talk about it or face it? Like, are there rituals? Are there blessings or prayers? What do you do to, um, to be in that in-between space if it's being prolonged and protracted and you aren't maybe the official, um, what do they call it? You don't have the directive. You don't, you know, you're, you don't have the power of attorney to say like, no, we're ending this now. I'm curious about this because this has happened with a friend recently, but I also think it's one of the scenarios that every time there's a death cafe or every time I'm at like a death doula thing, somebody talks about the person who was trying to die and family members wouldn't let them, didn't want to talk about it. And then the person who is kind of aware of these energies needing to be attended to and feeling powerless or um, kind of death illiterate or ritual illiterate, not knowing what to do. And I would include myself in that. And I'm actually a very experienced, you know, ritualist. So what would you say from the psychopomp's perspective about a situation like that? Well, first off, that's like a really intense situation. And I'm sorry for your friend who had to go through that. Thank you. I wish that it was a rare situation. It's not because it's not just the family that's complicit in this. It's the doctors as well who are saying we can do one more thing. We can do one more thing. Let's try this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And what they're doing is they are avoiding the topic of having that hard conversation. The doctors who are working front lines in these situations do not have brief training, do not have those types of trainings. So it's really hard to like have those conversations. There are a lot of nurses who are more savvy to that, but again, there's a lot of a limit to what we can do right now, you know, um, in, in, the city that I live in, Vancouver, unceded Coast Salish Territory. Thank you. Um, there's about 90% of people who do not fall inside of standard clergy representation. So that means only 10% of people have access to spiritual existential support mm. in their dying. Hmm. Wow. So unless they're getting it through their supportive connected networks, they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And because we are living living as settlers on this territory, you know, um, our First Nations people need to have the type of support that speaks to their spirits. And because we're sitting in a place that is a melting pot culturally, it's like, you know, each different group of people needs to have their own representation. 
So what I feel psychopomps are is a little bit outside of that because we don't necessarily come at it from a religious perspective, but we see it as a human suffering perspective. Hmm. So um, when you're in those types of situations and the family doesn't want to deal and the doctors are being complicit and saying, you don't actually have to deal because there's this other thing, um, it's, it's really tricky for the person. And so what I would do and what I would recommend in those situations is just offer up prayers of support, like, hi, I see you, I witness you. And the thing about death and dying is, is that there's no spirit time. Like there's no time in that world of spirit. So while they're in the, the liminal state of passing between this life and the next, the soul will actually journey in and out and return back and forth to get acclimatized. And so this is the time where we see this, the, the energy drop and then come back with vibrancy and then drop and come back with vibrancy. And so while the soul is journeying, we can keep sending prayers and saying, I see you, I witness you, I get that this is not ideal for you how can I hold space for your spirit? And just offering up those offers of love mm -hmm. to, our, to our people who are suffering mm -hmm. is a big deal. Just mm -hmm. saying, hey, I see you, I see what you're going through. And witnessing that piece is huge because there's not enough witnessing in our society around death and dying. Mm -hmm. We close behind door, closed doors. The only you know, deaths that we talk about are really violent ones or really graphic ones. And people are desensitized to like, certain types of death but not embracing of like, this is a natural process of the body shutting down. Mm -hmm. And there's a spiritual process that goes with that bodily process. Oh, I like what you just said. There's a spiritual process that goes with that bodily process. You, I'd like to circle back. You piqued my interest in the very opening minutes where you said, you know, there are things you can do. And one of the words you said was sacrifice. Mm -hmm. There are sacrifices. What do you mean by that? Oh, well, that's, that's a big question right there. Sacrifice doesn't mean what we think that it means, at least not according to, you know, the universal energy. Sacrifice we've taken on to mean blood or harm or damage to ourselves or to another. And that's not the original energy of sacrifice. The original energy of sacrifice is just really standing in your purpose and being your purpose and offering that to the world as your purpose. Mm. So... As a psychopomp, my offering to the world is I am able to witness souls that are wandering about. I am able to take them through an energetic process and I'm able to help them journey on safely to their, you know, place, their connection place to the universe. Mm -hmm. So that's the work that I do. Now, these souls that come to me, they don't have pockets. I don't get paid for the random souls that I help. That's my sacrifice. That's me standing in my purpose and offering my service to the world. That is my sacrifice, is, is the work that I do is just being here, being present, being in the moment, saying, hey, I see you, I witness you. I know that we're in a society that doesn't, and I can help you through this process, and you're not alone. Hmm. That's my sacrifice. So other ways that we can offer up sacrifice are um, through ancestral meals which we could offer, you know, at anniversaries of births or deaths or, um, and it's just ways of connecting, you know? Do you mean like sacred foods, meaning that they were um, special to that person or they come from your tradition? Just like, it yeah. could be like mom's apple pie recipe kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely it. And like just making up a spirit plate and just offering that, you know, for your ancestors, you know, that's cross-cultural. We all <laughs> have 
you know, generations of, of like we offer food to the people who have passed over. And so that's another way of sacrificing and saying, you know, I see you, I witness you, here's something that you loved, and I'm going to offer that to you because that's how we can keep connected in those ways. And that's the big thing about ritual is that it doesn't need to be big and complicated. It can be these little things of like, you know, having a, de having a cup of tea with your dead auntie. It doesn't need to be that complicated. It's just like, I'm having a cup of tea. I'm going to make a separate cup of tea and I'm going to put it up on my altar. And then my auntie doesn't feel alone. Hmm. And I feel connected to her. And it's not a complicated ritual, but it's something that is beautiful and it connects me to that source of love because that's what grief is. Mm -hmm. Every time I miss her, we do that little ritual. It's easy, mm -hmm. but it's a way to feel connected and a way to feel like I'm nourishing that connection. And that's really what sacrifice is, a way to nourish that connection to what you're supposed to do in your core being. Mm. Can I ask you a pragmatic question about this? So uh, putting, it out an, uh, putting out an offering of an ancestor plate, um, I have in the past, I've usually put them outside. And I realized that a, a few different teachers and, and elders and friends of mine, but actually I finally connected, oh wait, they, they were all First Nations, <laughs> put them outside, which, which made a lot of sense. And sometimes, let's say the ancestors, or, the, or sorry, the raccoons or the rats get it or whatever, but it's like, well, who's to say they're not ancestors? However, I was researching my own Gallic background and they did talk a lot about putting out a, a, an ancestral meal, but setting a plate at the dinner table. And so, you know, and that's also in the Jewish tradition. That's all, you know, so you set the, the plate, but of course, also in the offerings, you, you don't want to then consume it. And you also don't want to uh, desecrate it, you know, de-sacrifice it by putting it in the garbage or something so then I'm like so then do I keep taking it out to my ancestor tree like what do you do when like do you compost it what do you do with your ancestral meals <laughs> to be honest um I work a lot with the crow people so oh. I leave a lot of the things out for the crows so I'll take it down off the altar you know I'll leave it there for a day and then I'll take it off the altar and I'll put it aside for the crows and they'll take it or they won't you know and you know, um, the crows are actually really tightly, you know, woven with the psychopomp mythology and all of the, again, cross-culturally, you know, Odin has his ravens and Morgan has her ravens and like, so like crows and ravens and the Corvid family are really, really important to the psychopomp work because um, I'm also chronically ill and there were uh, times in my life where I wasn't able to like get out of bed and sort of like do my rounds around the hospitals and hospices and nursing homes that I do to pick up and witness these souls. Mm -hmm. So what the crows will do is they'll pick up those souls for me just and, and drop them off, you know, and mm -hmm. I will process them that way. So crows mm -hmm. and I work very closely together. So an offering from the ancestor altar to go to the crows, I feel is incredibly appropriate. Um, but also, um, again, not my culture, but other cultures, you know, there are crossroads gods who are also, you know, understood to be, um, taking care of of the garbage because that's that's part of that work of changing the old cycle and bringing in the new cycle so if you offer to certain deities um like eshu or elegua that um those offerings are actually supposed to go in the trash wow would so, would is hecate included in that uh, Hecate, I work with, um, and I sacrifice to her through energy means. I work okay. very closely with her. I actually, in a lot of ways, am her daughter. So um, mm -hmm. if you look up Hecate's daughter, you'll probably find me somewhere on the internet. Um, okay. It was really interesting, that story about how that came to be. 
Uh, <laughs> but throughout my life, you know, my name that I was given at birth and my birth date is sacred to her. And um, my astrology. Cat is like Hecate? Yes. Oh my gosh. And yes. you live near the Hecate Strait. Yes. Yeah. I, I always, I pronounce it Hecate because that's how Jean Shinoda Bolin pronounces it, but I'm going to shift to adapt to you. For, okay. you no, because this is the thing. This is the thing. I've heard of her pronounced Hecate, Hecate, Hecate. Okay. And I've heard it pronounced like a million different ways. And she doesn't, it's, it's she just. She doesn't mind. Doesn't mind. From what I can tell, I've been calling her all kinds of things in my life. But the reality is, is that you know, like it's that connection. You know, like we all mispronounce stuff. You know, but it's like, are you connecting? Are you honoring? Are you there and present? Are you being that fullest self that is the sacrifice that you that you that you're here to be? That core self that you're here to be. You know, so like that naming stuff. It's, it's useful sometimes, but, like, as long as we know who we're talking about, like, her name used to actually be spelled E-K-T-I. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, we're a ways off from that now. Right? <laughs> so, uh, like, it's, it's just, it, things change over time. Names change, but, like, the energy and the presence of that doesn't change. And so when Hecka showed up in my life, she showed up in a really big way. I was in the middle of English class. I was reading Macbeth. She does this little spiel in Macbeth where she like chews out the witches for like practicing witchcraft without honoring her and respecting her or asking her for her thoughts on getting involved with Macbeth in the first place. And she just came through in a really big way and she's like, hey, I'm here. Guess what? You're mine. I'm like, okay. I'm just like... Ever since then, and I always think I was like 15 at the time. So, you know, like ever since then, I've been building this understanding. And through that experience, through that, you know, moment, I had that desire to like go to the library and research who is she? Mm. Oh, she's a psychopomp. That's what I am. And yeah. it was at 15 that I first realized that that's what I am as a psychopomp. But it was through this weird experience through, through reading Macbeth in English class, it was like, okay you know like That's the divine amazing. will lead you to where you need to go as long as you're paying attention and then what were the next steps like how did you how did you then you know you've so you've researched and you've done this work 22 years how did you though actually start working with the dead and people who needed help with dying mm-hmm. So I think the first thing was that there was uh, another reference in, Mac- uh, in Shakespeare to Hecate, and that was tied with fairies. And then I started researching fairies, and what I found out is that fairies aren't like Tinkerbell. Fairies are the venerated ancestors. They are the ancestral spirits of these people. They're not flighty. They are humans who have died who have become venerated ancestors. Mm. So... You know, this is a whole different conversation than the one that we're culturally having about fairies and what they do and how they help us. It's like, they don't help us by granting wishes. Mm. They, they're not about that. They're about, if we honor their connection to us, they'll honor our connection to them. And so, again, being that, that sacrifice of your own energy self, like connecting to them and saying, okay, there's ancestral trauma. We're all connected to ancestral trauma. Mm. You know, like, how do we clear that ancestral trauma? So, so if a person wanted to learn more about this path of understanding fairies, wh- what lineage or what sort of tradition is this within that you discovered this about fairies? 
uh, Celtic, Scottish, Irish, yeah. like, you know, those sorts yeah. of, like, um, that, that geographical region, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's where I would start looking at, like, the, the origin of the, of the Fae um, mm-hmm. and, and their connection to the goddess Danu. Danu. And, and there's also quite a strong, because, you know, being Gallic, Scot, Scots Gallic uh, myself, strong uh, conventions around, um, not fearful, but like a very healthy reverence and caution around working with fairies. And then, you know, kind of later on, the whole kind of changeling <laughs> stuff comes in. We're just a little, like, we're not going to fuck with these people, okay? Like, <laughs> this is like, they're, they're not, like you say, they're not like Tinkerbell. Um, and and I, I personally have really appreciated this. It's not recasting. It's going back to original restorying, retelling all of this. So once you discovered this path or this tradition and this understood this about fairies, how did you start working with this information to become a psychopomp? Well, I started realizing how we've recasted all of these different um, deities and energies and um, uh, energy constructs. Um, and I started realizing, like, this is a cross-cultural phenomenon. We have forgotten our roots in pretty much everywhere. So, mm-hmm. like, how do we connect with those older spirits? How do we connect on a deeper level with, like, what we're here to do? And how are we going to, like, go forward in a good way? So those are sort of the big questions around that piece for me. Mm. And what would you say is the most challenging part of the work for you right now? Well, like I said, it's a bit of a taboo within, you know, the death and dying sphere, you know, um, the, the more official places, it's, it's still kind of hard to have these conversations. Um, mm. So I'm just kind of there holding space and just, you know, as we're coming into the cultural awareness of like, we carry 14 generations of DNA inside of our bodies and all of those stories that are connected to that DNA and how they play out ancestrally, you know, it's like just sort of reminding those ancestors are still here and present and they want us to go forward in a good way and to heal and to enjoy life again, because the suffering that we're carrying is not actually ours to carry any longer. And it's the time for us to clear it. Mm. And that's one of the things you you're doing for people, right? Is you're, you're helping them with that. I'm, I feel like this relates to the next place. My, my curiosity is taking me, which is about how do you personally manage when there's like an influx of the dead needing your attention or, you know, like what is that like in terms of energy management and, and having good spiritual hygiene? Yeah. That's something that I talk to my students about all the time is, is the energetic hygiene, because Mm -hmm. that is something that is crucial in this work because, you know, when you're not seen, when you're not heard, like there's this story about how ghosts are cold. Well, how would you feel if you weren't seen or heard? You would feel cold and angry too. And like, this is the thing. It's like, I will actually physically take on that cold, you know, Mm -hmm. like it'll feel like there's a cold rod being inserted through my spine, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's really intense. Sometimes I'll just get really cold, but like, unless I'm at home, you know, with my heater on right beside me, I'm pretty much out there all seasons in a hoodie. Mm. And so these are just things that I've learned about myself. Um, There's actually a whole anatomy that maps onto the psychopomp form that I haven't seen in any of the other, you know, Vedic charts or, you know, um, you know, chakra systems. So 
there is an energetic process that goes with this. That's Tell me about this this an anatomical map, Kat. I'm totally fascinated. Where well, does this it come a, from or did you map it? I've mapped it as far as I know. Yeah. As far as I know. But again, it goes back to the research that I've done with these people. It's going to be in my book. I'm still writing the book. So <laughs> at some point, go buy the book. Um, <laughs> But What's your website for everybody who right now is like, how do I take her class? Can you just say it right now? Catweb.com. Catweb.com. Yeah, C-A-T-W-E-B-B. Yeah. Okay, great. So you've managed, go ahead. Yeah, I run a course on this. And so like, if you're a female psychopomp, chances are you're going to have some sort of uterine congestion because that is a vessel for souls. Oh. That's how the soul comes in. So if you are you know, somebody who was anatomically born with a uterus, you know, chances are you could do that work subconsciously for a number of years, but then start ending up with uterine issues. So, you know, those who are born with uterus stuff, they need to take care of their stuff in a different way. Um, It can affect the dream state. It can affect, you know, because we're meeting with the ancestors because it's a different connection point. So, you know, a lot of times people will be journeying in their sleep and wake up exhausted, you know? So then, you know, how do you take care of yourself after that? And I call it a psychic hangover. You know, it's like when you're out journeying all night and you're not even aware of it and you come back and you're like wrecked. That's what I call a psychic hangover. So like, how do you clear that out? So that's a big part of what I do with my students is I run them through the psychopomp anatomy. And I do, I do this actually through creating a poppet, which is uh, mm-hmm. a spirit ball. And so, you know, you, you go through and you sew on all the different parts onto the, onto the poppet. And as we go through, we explain why that's important and how you clear that out through different methods. That's so fantastic. Cause I, in, um, the numinous school, my program, we did one on, um, uh, one lesson, one month on creating your power tools and we were doing poppets and some people were like, I'm a little scared of this, <laughs> you know, because again, if the, um, appropriated and totally distorted um, voodoo and voodoo um, traditions of using dolls had to do a lot of um, dismantling colonialism in that class. <laughs> but but I, I love that you brought up um, the poppet and also the spiritual hangover. You did a great Facebook live uh, right around Sawain and, you know, just, just talking about, about that. So how would a person who is unaware that they have this capacity for psychopomp work, how would they know when they are spiritually um, being, like when it's too much, when, when they aren't uh, grounding or cleansing or, you know, doing self-purification or doing their own observances for, for themselves? Like, how would they know? They're like, oh, I'm a spiritual seeker. I'm kind of like, do, 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 do on my spiritual path. But why am I always what? Like, what would the symptoms be to, that they should maybe look into? Like, mm, um, you might be susceptible to um, the energies of the dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where I kind of specialize in discerning the difference between a paranormal phenomenon and a um, one that we're terming a mental health issue. Oh, 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 good, good. Yeah, so this is, this is sort of where I'm, I have a bit of a specialty around. A lot of the things that we consider mental illness are not actually mental illness. They mm-hmm. are these old ways of connecting with our ancestors that are trying to rewire in our brain, but we're not allowing them to because our social construct says, no, that's not a thing. You're wrong. You mm-hmm. need to I hear you. Mm-hmm. That's not actually what's happening. So um, 
if you feel like you're you're a seeker and you feel like you know you're being called to one of the deities who you know if you look up it's really nice now because it's not 22 years ago when i was reading <laughs> but it's like nice now because you can just type in like a deity's name and be like oh they're a psychopomp okay maybe i should look into that you know but that wasn't the case back then so i had to go the whole book route in library <laughs> craziness mm -hmm. um so um, that's the big thing is that if you're feeling like you, your mental health is suffering at the sake of your path, that would be a time that you maybe want to slow down and start grounding. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're feeling like you're out of control or you're feeling like there's something like bigger or like I'm feeling like this is too much, take a step back. Spirit doesn't want you to burn yourself to cinder. You know, like speaking from somebody who has chronic illness and has almost died multiple times, mm -hmm. please trust me, the universe does not want you to burn, burn yourself to cinder. So, you know, if you feel like you're being drawn too much into it, ask your guides to help you slow down, slow down the flow, slow down the process and realize that these souls may have been stuck for a long time and it's not just up to us to clear them. Next thing that you can do is you can ask your ancestors for support. Again, they don't want us to feel overwhelmed and burnt out. They want us to do the healing. They want us to do the witnessing. You know, they don't want us to burn ourselves down. And so just being aware of, like, when you're feeling like this is too much, that it's okay to take a break, that it's okay to slow down, and that it's okay to, like, keep doing the work in the way that feels authentic to you. But if it's not, then, you know, really stop clear out your energy. That's the first step. Now, there is something that goes with working with the dead. And I'm not going to make a generalization about every psychopomp, but most of us will start feeling very suicidal. Mm, yeah, suicidal. Yeah, they want, to, they want to be witnessed or they want to be witnessed, but sometimes in a way that they want to be witnessed and take us down. And that has to do with the personality of the person who died. That's okay. not about like demons or anything. All of these are about the constructs that need to be healed in our society, right? So mm. when we have like different people coming together, wanting to be witnessed, it can be really overwhelming and feel like a pressure. So if you're feeling suicidal, please reach out to somebody in, you know, community of support. You can reach out to me if you're feeling like you're a psychopath and feeling suicidal. Like, you know, there's lots of ways that we can clear that out. But like, that is also something that kind of goes with this um, work when it's when it's unmanaged, when it's unhealthy, when you're not doing your psychic hygiene. That's what it could manifest as. Sleepless nights, uh, deep depression, suicidal ideation, um, and, and um, just feeling like you can't, like it's too much, like the world is too much or it's too loud. And so you know, that's about self-soothing and regulation and bringing yourself back into a state of center before you continue um, working because our, our journey is a spiral. So we're always spiraling up and learning new things. But like if it's, <clears throat> if we meet a point where like we're being re-traumatized in that groove of spiraling up, then we need to like find another way to self-soothe because we need another tool in our kit that will help us to like get through that piece. That's really struck. That's mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah. And I really appreciate you saying that people can reach out because I, I, I fully, I am in full agreement with what you're saying and I fully endorse it too, that um, suicidal thoughts, that kind of ideation is so common. Like it's really not uncommon in any spiritual path and framing it within this work that, you know, there's, there's something about, um, you know, knowledge of the cyclical nature of the soul that is, you know, very stigmatized in our culture and society, but certainly in, in my spiritual kind of 
milieu and the community I'm in there that 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 wouldn't happen that's not the way suicidal ideation is regarded that it somehow means that you're deficient in your spiritual journey right this is like oh you're going through this so it's another initiation process um and i'm so th- i appreciate you saying that um so you kind of just said there really casually uh, that you've been a person who's nearly died several times <laughs> i wonder if you could I wonder if you have some thoughts you're willing to share about, um, like, to what do you attribute the fact that you continue to live then? (laughs) I I think it's actually because I'm a psychopomp. I think that they need people who are aware of this level of suffering in our trauma through familial and ancestry lines. I think that, that they're happy to have people who are helping out here on this realm because there's a lot of stuck energy in this realm. There's a lot of like patriarchy that needs to be cleared out. And I feel like part of that is a side effect of our damaged relationship with death and our not, you know, crossing these people over properly. So there's a lot of like pockets of patriarchy that are just kind of stuck that psychopomps are now releasing through this me too process, (laughs) releasing through this ancestral wisdom that we carry these 14 generations of DNA, that we carry this wisdom, you know, like science is backing this stuff up. It's not just me saying, oh, wait, this is weird. Why is this happening? It's like, no, there's science that goes into this stuff now. We're starting to understand why this is happening. So that's really important to me that we understand those, those things that, you know, like we're clearing out this work and I like to think of the work that I do as a psychopomp is like it may sound fancy but really it's just cosmic cleanup crew <laughs> yeah you're like the after party like after everybody clears out you come pretty in much, pretty much. <laughs> it's, really, it's really funny because there's a, a comic book uh, called Sandman by Neil Gaiman and it's really amazing because there there is exactly a quote it's like when death shows up she's like at the end of the universe I will turn off the lights and I'll put the chairs up on the table and I will you know leave and and that's you know kind of she was the first thing here mm. and she she's the thing that's going to close everything. And so why are we afraid of this thing that lives with us, that is inside of us, that is inside of our stories? And I think that it's just because we have gone into a culture of spiritual bypass and now we're like, oh wait, that doesn't work. So now let's start really looking at this stuff and clearing it out and Mm -hmm. and going forward in a good way. Nice. I, I, in the, I want to give you like in the Twaker Quaker tradition, they do like sparkle fingers, you know, like jazz hands, like, ooh, or like this kind of thing and poetry slam. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I enforce everything you're saying. I love it. Um, so with all of the shit, all the bullshit that you are helping to clear out, I imagine, um, you know, as you have said a number of times, you have an intimate relationship with grief. I'm curious about rage. How do you personally cope with or manage rage? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, so how do I personally manage rage? Well, I'm in some rage-inducing situations um, <laughs> because, because life, I mean, this is the reality of the world that we live in. We're complicated beings and we draw lessons to us and, you know, we, we experience things, you know, and they're not always good lessons. They're not always fun lessons. Um, so how am I dealing with my rage? I am reaching out to my community. I used to keep my rage really bottled up. I used to keep it really, really bottled up and I used to do self-destructive things to myself and to my body. But because of my chronic illness, I actually need to keep myself as chill as possible 
so that I can be healthy and I can regain my health. So anything that causes stress or, or rage, I need to kind of like shut that down and find a way to deal with it really quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, my preferred way is, um, you know, something rage inducing happens. I pause for a moment. I kind of get my stuff together and say, this is what I need to say, but I don't want to say it to that person just yet. And then I take a few breathers around that and then I talk to my trusted people and then I, you know, come up with like, how do I say this in the kindest possible way? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's sort of how I'm processing my rage these days. My, my old methods of rage dealing are inappropriate and not helpful, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like, you know, holding it all inside until you get an ulcer, that's inappropriate. Mm. <laughs> that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> and so do you have any rage rituals? Like what if your friends aren't there and you're yes. like in that moment? Oh, yes. And this is a product that I'm actually hoping to roll out to clients soon <gasps> is a grieving or I guess in this case, raging for the undead. So <gasps> basically, there are situations in our life where somebody hasn't actually died but like in a situation like you know uh you know losing a close friend due to you know moving away or whatever but like just really putting those feelings writing them out creating a ritual where we do a burning ceremony and we you know we hold space for that that grief that doesn't have a tangible place to go but the person is still alive and we may need to interact with them so how do we do that and so that's what goes into that grieving the undead ritual is, oh, is all of those pieces of like, how do we move forward in a good way without taking all of this bitter, angry stuff with us? Or how do we, how do we clear it so that it's a good path? Oh, I love it. And I, I uh, would be a customer and I can think of people off the top of my head right now that I'm going to recommend it to. I love it. Um, do you like, send out a newsletter or anything like that? If people go to your website, how do they, what's the best way for them to keep in touch or like keep observing you? What do you prefer that way? I think Facebook or Instagram are sort of my preferred methods. Um, What's your Instagram handle? My Instagram is, I believe, catwebpriestess. Instagram is my jam. I'm going to follow you. I didn't see there. I'll look for you. Yes, it's catweb.priestess catweb.priestess. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all this, Kat. I feel like you just kind of summarized my philosophy of spirituality. (laughs) (laughs) So great. And it feels um, wonderful to to just sense resonance and kinship and just like, I I don't know, I I can feel like the joy level rising and the sense of like, more well-being and wellness in the world, knowing that there are psychopomps uh, like yourself out there and, um, and are doing really important work and sacrificing um, in such an honorable way. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Much gratitude for this opportunity to get to chat. So cool, huh? Yeah. I'm so happy there are people like Kat who, as I said, are sacrificing and, um, making this work sacred again, instead of having it be taboo and hidden away. So important. To learn more about Kat's work, you can visit her website, catweb.com, and find the link to her Facebook and Instagram feeds on the show notes of my website, carmenspaniola.com. I'd like to thank all my listeners in Vancouver and throughout Coast Salish territory. And I've been told uh, in, in a very gentle way that I have a very powerful resting bitch face, but please don't let that stop you from saying hi. (laughs) 
<laughs> you see me out in the world. I do really highly value my privacy, but if you listen to my show, I really do want to thank you personally because I think it's very sweet and um, I feel connected to listeners. Uh, if you see me in the fairy lineup or something, please say hello. Finally, just a heads up that you can now place your deposit online to come on Quest with me during the full moon in June. Get all the details at CarmenSpaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.